Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 325, Baton, The Beginning of the End. Three days into the Second Battle of Bataan saw the Japanese shatter Sector D on the right side of the defensive line and take control of the area in front of and to either side of Mount Samat. General Homa's plan was more than just working out. It was ahead of schedule. This was due to the weakened state of the defenders of the line, along with the massive, hours-long bombardment that mostly Sector D had suffered through. Either way, the attackers had gained the height and access to the trail system behind the Allied line. The question for General Edward King, the Luzon commander, was, where would Homa focus next? There is a saying in business that serves equally well in war, which is, expand or die. By the morning of April 6th, Monday, General King knew he could not wait any longer. Either the tide of battle turned here and now, or it would not be turned at all. Now, General King was well served by his staff, as they had already been discussing a counterattack. Problem was, the reserve, the 21st Infantry Regiment, had been thrown into the line on the first day of this current battle, with no discernible improvement. Still, the other reserve units, the 45th Infantry Regiment, one company of tanks, and the 31st Infantry Regiment, were in the area and would have to carry out most of the counterattack themselves. It was assumed by command that the men of Sector D could not be relied upon, as their will and ability to fight had been cut down to size. Still, by the evening of that Easter Sunday, April 5th, General George Parker of 2nd Corps had a plan in place to push the enemy back. At 6 a.m. on April 6th, the various units would move out, and if all went well, not only would some sort of line be re-established near the Sector D area, but Mount Samat would be back under Allied control. First, on the right or east side of Samat, the 31st Infantry Regiment would move north to attack enemy units along Trail 4. Whatever was left of the 21st Division, though HQ did not know the extent of its wounds, would head up the sides of Mount Samat. For now, it was more important to capture the area around the height than the height itself, as the Japanese had yet to place large guns up there. Next, the 33rd Infantry would move north between the western slopes of Samat and the Katmon River, which is further west. As the area to the west and northwest of Samat was where the enemy had penetrated the most, what was left of the shattered 42nd and 43rd Infantry Regiments, all told about 400 men, would be following behind the 33rd Infantry, acting as support. Command could only hope that they had gathered themselves enough by this point. 
General Parkers and King did not believe that the original defensive line could be reasserted, so they would settle for a new line below it, somewhere close to where Sector D's headquarters had been in front of Mount Samad. Helping out when the time came, General Blumel, the Sector C commander, to the right or east of Sector D, would go on the offensive as well when the 31st Infantry Regiment got close to the old line. Further, they would commence their own artillery attack. It was hoped rather than believed that this would be enough to stabilize the area. And yet, General Homa had no intention of simply waiting for the enemy to form a plan, get the needed troops into place, and then push off. Every good chess player will tell you it's best to have the adversary reacting to you rather than the other way around. No, Homa had the initiative on his side, and he would expand it, again, grow or die. His target this time would be Sector C, to the right or east of the broken D sector, and that much closer to the East Coast Road, which figured into Homa's overall plans. This time, it would be the 4th Division who would lead the main attack, the larger goal was to reach the Lemay River, about three and a half miles further south from the defensive line. Should the Japanese reach that waterway, the places left to hide and fight from for the Allies would be practically eliminated. Hence, the 4th Division would be divided into two parts. One would engage the western end of Sector C's line and push east to keep the entire line engaged and in place while the other half of 4th Division would push hard to the southeast to make for the Lemay River, thus getting in behind the bulk of General Parker's 2nd Corps Command. As General Nara's 65th Brigade had already pushed their way south to the west of Mount Samat, they would be protecting the right flank of this latest attack. As for the main attack's left or east flank, that would be covered by the Nagano Detachment which would be given a company of tanks for this assignment. But even here, Homa was reaching for victory, not only with today's battle, but for an end to the entire war. A part of Nagano's detachment would drive south to help take the Lomay River area, while the other half helped keep the rest of General Parker's line nailed down. And because it had worked so well previously, before this attack was to get underway on April 6th, there would be a heavy artillery attack combined with the 22nd Air Brigade throwing in its might. As both sides made for their places during Easter Sunday, various troops were ordered to get into position that night for the next day's fighting. However, for the Japanese, their plans were to finish the war once and for all. For the Allies, their best hope was to re-establish a line and hold out for a while longer. That's it. Of course, another side of the story is that the Philippine Division, the troops that had been held in reserve and on whose shoulders now all this rested, was just as starved and weak as their comrades. But it was the best that Generals King and Parker could do. Also, when the 31st Infantry Regiment moved out to get into place, about one-third of their men were literally too weak to walk, much less fight. Still, some of those very men awkwardly got up to join their brothers. Of course, during the walk to get into position, most of these same men 
fell to the earth. Their loyalty to their brothers was unable to match the feebleness of their limbs. Unfortunately, the Allied counterattack plan started falling apart even before it had a chance to work. As stated, the 31st Infantry Regiment was to move out that morning of April 6th on Trail 4, east of Mount Samat. Their goal was to move north and reach the reserve line of the 21st Division. This was obviously behind the main line, but if it could be re-established, then the enemy might be held back and time would be gained. But as we have seen, General Taniguchi's reinforced left column had come down Trail 4 and pushed back the 21st Division. And then Colonel Sato's right column was able to take the 21st's command post. Hence, during the night of April 5th, the 31st Infantry were told to start at a spot about 1,300 yards east of their original order. In other words, they would have to fight here to even begin to retake Trail 4. Only after being successful here, if successful, they could then head north to help establish a new line. That evening of April 5th, the 31st set out, but during their journey, they ran into enemy units who were heading for the same destination. Lieutenant Colonel Jasper E. Brady Jr., in command of the 31st, ordered his 2nd Battalion forward to push out the enemy, and the men accomplished this task. However, time, ammunition, and energy, of which the men possessed little, was used up in the process. While this fighting was going on, it took several hours, General Tanaguchi's left column was still dealing with the trapped remains of the 21st Division, also on Trail 4, but further north. The Filipinos there knew that they had to fight their way out, and so they concentrated their fire on one part of the ring around them. Though most were killed, wounded, or captured during their attempted escape, a few got through and reached Colonel Brady. Debriefing his men, Brady realized that his 800 men might capture Trail 4 further north with a surprise attack, but holding it against a larger, better-armed, and better-fed force was all but impossible. Hence, Brady sent a written request for what to do to General Lowe of Sector D, as the phone lines were currently out. For now, the 31st Infantry Regiment sat tight. While he waited, Brady had his men stand down. They had been trying, even through all this, to push the enemy off Trail 4, specifically where Trail 4 met 429 which runs west to connect with another trail. Soon, a radio message from General Lowe came through that said the offensive was over. But just in case something broke their way, the 31st Infantry Regiment was now to set up a defensive line, but they were to face west, where they currently were. It was hoped their dug-in defense would negate access to the junction of trails 4 and 429 to the enemy. Hence, the 1st Battalion took up a position to the north of 429, which ran to the west, and the 2nd Battalion was stationed to the south of 429. For any enemy forces that wanted to pass by, they would have to run through a gauntlet that would most certainly decimate their numbers. To the west of this, some 300 men of the 41st Infantry Regiment started out well enough with their part of the attack plan. 
near the Pentagon River, closer to Trail 29. The 41st was to clear a path along the trail, so the 45th Infantry Regiment, along with the Philippine scalps, could hurry past them and engage the enemy. And at first, things went well. The 300 soldiers got closer to Trail 29 around 2 a.m. of April 6th, and were soon close to where they had been stationed before. But their final steps brought them within the midst of a unit from Nara's 65th Brigade. Not wanting to take any chances, the Japanese troops were bayoneted in their sleep. The few that awoke were shot where they were. Moving on, Trail 29 was reached, as was more of the 65th Brigade. Now it was the turn of the 41st Infantry men to run away or die on the spot. Heading back down the river, they were eventually able to stop and set up a defensive line. This held, but no one knew how long it would last. For now, the men of the 41st only hoped that the 45th Infantry would show up soon to help clear and take Trail 29. As for the 45th Infantry, they, like most of the others of this offensive, moved out at 2 a.m. on April 6th. These Philippine scouts were missing their 1st Battalion, so 3rd Battalion took lead, with the 2nd Battalion following along. Good news, Company C of the 194th Tank Battalion would offer additional support. But as the infantry headed out first, the tanks did not catch up until the morning, and even then, because of the thick jungle, the machines were limited to just being on the trail. Later that morning, the two battalions, plus the tank company, came upon an outpost of the Japanese 65th Brigade. This was easily pushed aside, given the numbers. Then a stronger group of Japanese were come upon. Further, this group took advantage of the terrain and sent a flanking unit into the jungle, around the Filipinos. The tanks could turn their guns, but that was it. The Philippine infantry had to reduce this threat themselves by heading into the jungle. Still, it was a local victory, and the force kept moving along the trail. That is, until they ran into more men of the 65th Brigade, around 3 p.m. Here, the Japanese would not move, regardless of the Allies' tanks. And the counterattack, at least here, having gone some 2,500 yards, now came to a halt. But the 45th Infantry Regiment was not out of the fight yet. During the back and forth with the Japanese, the enemy had shelled the Philippine troops throughout the day. While the latter held back their mortar fire due to a limited number of shells. However, it was now do or die. So, Scout Commander Colonel Doyle ordered that half of the 3rd Battalion's 10 81mm shells be used to blow a hole in the enemy's line. When that was done, the tanks could then pour through, causing havoc. The tanks were readied, as were the men, just in case, and the 81mm shells started going off. For whatever reason, the artillery was more effective than anticipated. In fact, the Japanese troops in this area started running away. Taking advantage of this, the troops started running for the gap even before the tanks could get underway. The men of the 45th Infantry started up Trail 29 and found that the area had been mined, which meant, had the tanks come first, this would have ended very differently for the Filipinos. Colonel Doyle was then asked if the order to move out was being given, 
but the colonel hesitated. It's not that this was too easy, far from it, but the basics of advancing came into his thoughts. Without explaining himself, Doyle sent scouts to his west and east. But when his men came back, those that had went west and had actually crossed the Pentagon River had not met up with anyone from General Jones' First Corps, and those scouts that had went east had not run into the 33rd Infantry Regiment. Hence, his flanks were not secure. If he chose to move out, things might go well for him and his men, yet so far they had not. Why risk it? Doyle ordered the men to dig in for the night. There wasn't much arguing. Doyle relayed his decision to General Lowe, who approved. The general ended with, Secure your surroundings and be ready to advance at sunrise which was all well and good for the 45th Infantry, but the 41st Infantry, who were a few thousand yards to the north and waiting for relief on the high bluffs of the Pentagon River, were left unsupported. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But it was in the center area of where the counterattack was to take place that truly was the writing on the wall for how this would all play out. There, in the center of Sector D, near the Katmon River and Trail 6, the plan was for the 33rd Infantry Regiment, backed up by what was left of the 42nd and 43rd Infantry Regiments, to head north and establish a new line, while taking out as many enemy troops as possible. The problem, though, was the still-shaken nerves of the 42nd and 43rd. As soon as they were come upon by a part of Nara's 65th Brigade, Now broken into two columns, the starving, shell-shocked men ran into the jungle. This not only left the junction of where trails 6 and 8 met, but the 33rd Infantry had been counting on the assistance of the 42nd and 43rd, as assuredly the Japanese would challenge this new forming line with strength. Sure enough, the 33rd was met by enemy forces and barely hung on. As most of their equipment was destroyed, they were unable to send out messages. The remaining men of the 33rd guessed that when the sun rose the next day, they would be finished off. Though it's not clear when all these updates reached General Edward King that day of April 6th, when they did, he had to know the counterattack had failed. The 31st Infantry, as we have seen, did not even reach its jump-off point. The 21st Division did not move out on the 6th after getting mauled the night before. And then there's the battered 42nd and 43rd Infantry, fleeing into the woods, leaving the 33rd Infantry surrounded. The same situation confronted the 41st Infantry, who were waiting on help from the 45th. Whereas April 6th, from the Japanese perspective, obviously was quite a good day. Much had been accomplished. The 4th Division was responsible for the main attack. It was to take the high ground near Sector C and push south to the Lomé River. 
This left General Nara's 65th Brigade to act as the right flank protector. However, it was Nara's two columns that made significant gains that day. Not only had they chased the beleaguered 42nd and 43rd Infantry into the jungle, but turning slightly to the southeast, they sliced the back area of Sector D in half, took the junction where Trails 6 and 8 met, and ended the day near General Lowe's headquarters, which cut him off from his men. Impressive, certainly as this had not been planned. This caused General Lowe to move his headquarters to the west at 4 p.m. Then he ordered Colonel Doyle to pull back his 45th Infantry to meet up with the 57th Infantry Philippine Scouts. Now, the 57th was being saved for the counterattack, but they were come upon by Nara's men. Now the 57th was in a fight for its life and needed help. Again, none of this had been planned, but as they say, good luck is the residue of hard work, and General Homa had his men hopping. Colonel Doyle was not happy when he got the orders. His was the only unit to make gains that day. Now he had to pull back to save the 57th Infantry that was supposed to be helping save all of them. But orders were orders. As may be remembered, General Homa's main target this go-around was the line of Sector C, which was strung out for about 4,500 yards to the east of the shattered Sector D. But even before the attack on April 6th, Tanaguchi's left wing the day before had pushed the 21st Division back in that area. In reaction, General Blumel requested a pullback to the San Vincente River. However, as command had already made up their attack plans, Blumel was denied. Thus, Sector C's left flank was weak and not set upon the best defensive ground, which dovetailed nicely when Colonel Jiro Kura ordered his 37th Infantry, backed up by tanks, artillery, and engineers, who were currently on the northern face of Mount Samat, to come down and go north and hit the Allied left flank in Sector C. The problem was, there wasn't a left flank. So, backing up a few hours, at 10.30 a.m. on April 6th, when Colonel Kuro's other units that were to the north of Sector C came crashing into the line, they had the misfortune to slam into the anti-tank company of the 31st Infantry U.S. Regiment. These troops fired their two 37mm guns, which brought the tanks up short. However, as the Americans had no armor-piercing shells, the tanks were just harassed, not destroyed, and the Japanese would figure this out quickly enough. But this was not the main attack on Sector C. No, it was the men coming from behind who had been on Mount Samat that were, which meant that Sector C's weak left flank was hit from the west, north, and south, and from the air, as bombers were ordered to hit the area all day. At 3 p.m., the men of Sector C began to fall back. And where were they headed? To the San Vicente River, just as General Blumel had wanted to do earlier, for its superior defensive terrain. To help with the weak left flank, two reserve companies had already been thrown into the mix. Now their job was to get the attention of the enemy, while the majority of Sector C 
now even too weak to carry their own machine guns, retreated. As things stood, Trail 2, within Sector C, now belonged to the Japanese. And if they went far enough south on the trail, it would lead to the southeast and to the LeMay River, General Homa's next stopping point. The new defensive line in Sector C was now on the west bank of the San Vigente River, the same side the Japanese were on. Blumel had wanted to set up his men on the far side, that is, the east side, but those orders did not come through until 4 p.m., as it was clear the new line would not hold without the help of geography. The hope now was to regain the former line of Sector D, but this was clearly impossible, as Sector C was now broken. Sector B, closer to the east coast, was now being threatened, and General Jones' men of the 1st Corps were busy with the diversionary attack that was in front of them. General Parker of 2nd Corps knew he could not re-establish the Sector D line, but he did want the line along the San Vicente River reinforced. It was better than nothing. Still, if looking at a scorecard, the Allies had just lost two divisions and a regiment and two other reserve regiments, and Blumel's headquarters had been cut off. The rest of the troops were getting weaker by the hour, and the majority of reserve troops had already been committed. The only good news for the last few days was that just before the Allied counterattack was to kick off, General Wainwright ordered an increase in rations for the men of Bataan. Thus he sent to General King all but the last 5,000 cases of sea rations on Corregidor. The men along the various parts of the defensive line noticed the increase in food right away, but it was still less than what they had been eating before the January 5th ration cut, and it wasn't enough to bring back their strength, which would take time. More time than the defenders had. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So, just wanted to take a moment to thank some new members and those who have donated, and a few people who have bought Churchill coffee mugs, because Father's Day is coming up and it would make a nice gift. If you're interested in one, just send me an email to wwiipodcast at gmail.com. Let me know where you live. I can give you a price, and we can work out all the details, and I can put it in the mail ASAP. So, as far as my latest members... There's Vinny Tradici. Vinny, if I'm saying your last name wrong, I apologize, because Vinny donated and became a member, so he is my new best friend. He told me he started listening to the regular series in January of this year, caught up, and now he's burning through the membership episodes. Oh my God, Vinny, slow down, because I'm getting slower in my old age. And Vinny's from New Jersey. What's not to love? Then there's Dan Weekly from Peora, Illinois. Thank you very much, Dan. Uh, Chris Smithwick from Cumberland, Maine. Eric Quist from Knoxville, Tennessee. Thank you, Eric. Michael, who is from Huntington, New York. Thank you very much, Michael. Then there is Nicholas D'Angelo from Downington, Pennsylvania. And Nicholas, I have to ask, if you listen to any of the shows that I do with Cameron Riley, the Cold War, the Renaissance, the Life of the Caesars, uh, that kind of thing, because the name D'Angelo is a very special one to me. So I hope that is legitimately your name and you're not just messing with me. If you don't know, if, if none of this makes sense, just send me an email and I'll, I'll explain it to you. Uh, the latest other member is Jack Thompson from Whitefish, Montana, I believe. 
Carol Marcon from Phoenix, Arizona. And two people have made donations. Thank you very much, Nancy Webb and Paul Carroll. Again, it makes a lot of difference around here. It keeps the wife happy, if you know what I mean. And for the two people that bought mugs for Father's Day, it was Joe Barnett and Matt Green. So they saw my post probably on Twitter or Facebook, uh, got in touch with me. The mugs are going out Monday. So again, gentlemen, thank you very much for that. So as you can probably guess, there's one more episode of the Philippines. I'm not sure how much of the death march of Bataan I'll, I'll cover. I'll, I'll cover enough so you get the idea, but uh, then I want to jump on to other parts of the Pacific so then we can get back to Europe and North Africa and just find a way to, to balance them all out. So we're almost there, almost done with the Philippines. Thank you for your patience. Um, and we will be moving on with the story just as soon as I can. Take care, everyone. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.